At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, Episode 9 for Wednesday, March the 23rd, 2016. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by geekfeed.com. Stuff your geek hole. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the John Campy Podcast, we're going to talk a lot about Batman vs. Superman and the discouraging critic reviews we're seeing on there. What does that mean? Are film critics out of touch? Is it really not as good as we thought it would be? We'll talk about that. Also, Margot Robbie is playing Tanya Harding in a real-life story, and a whole bunch more. Thanks a lot for joining us. Sit back, relax. The John Campy Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to the John Campia podcast here. Uh, once again, we're back. we got a whole bunch of things to talk about today. Uh, I'm going to let you guys know, I'm not in my regular room today that I normally do the podcast from. See, right at my place here, right outside my window, they're doing some construction. So you're pro- And it's literally right outside of the window of the room that I normally do my podcast in. So... I'm in a different room today, so it might sound a little more echoey, but and you might hear some hammering and some construction noises. My apologies for that. Um, yeah, so last night, uh, me and all the, the Collider, so me, Schnepp, Dennis, uh, Wendy, Mark, Christian, we all went out to a press screening of Batman versus Superman last night. Now, I had already, you guys know, I already saw the film on Monday. But uh, the rest of the guys hadn't seen the movie yet, and I really needed to see this movie a second time. So off we go last night to watch Batman v, uh, Batman v Superman. And um, my, you'll remember that on my review the other day, I said this, this movie is so filled with so much stuff that I, I got to see it a second time. Like I have to see it a second time. And I did. Now you'll remember I gave the movie an eight. The first time I saw it, my review for it has come down a little. Uh, not much, just just a little bit. I've adjusted my my rating. I'm pretty sure it's going to stay at this rating now. Now that I've had time to really digest it and watch it again, my my rating for Batman vs Superman has come down just a smidge. It's gone from an eight to a seven point five, which is still a good score. I, I still like this movie. I I like this movie. I'm going to go see it again on Thursday. As a matter of fact, I do like this movie. Um, so we watched it again, and. I think this time, the second time I watched the film, the problems I had with the film stood out a little bit more to me. Like, uh, for example, last night we did, uh, after we watched Batman vs. Superman with the whole crew, I went back and did a review with those guys. And one of the things I said in that review, and it's very, very true, I said, look, going into Batman vs. Superman, You know, I think for all of us, going into any movie, we have a certain preconceived notion in our heads, and preconceived notions can be good, sometimes they can be bad, but I went with the preconceived notion that for me to enjoy Batman v Superman, I needed three things to be there. Three boxes had to be checked for me to like this movie. Those three boxes were, box number one, 
Ben Affleck has to be a great Batman. This movie has to give us a great Batman. Not just because the DC Cinematic Universe needs a great Batman, but remember, we're following up on the Christopher Nolan Batman films. We're we're following up on Christian Bale playing Batman, and those are beloved. So you have to give us a great Batman with Ben Affleck. Number two, the movie is called Batman vs. Superman. So you have to give us a great Batman vs. Superman fight or fights. You can't you can't let us down with a fight. And especially, oh my God, look, there was a little part of me that was a little worried. What if they don't even really have a real fight? Believe you me, folks, they have a real fight. But anyway, so box number one, Ben Affleck has to be a great Batman. They have to give us a great Batman. Box number two, uh, how, make a great Batman versus Superman fight or fights. Box number three was even though I didn't want Doomsday in this movie, since you've already shown us in the trailer that he's there, and that's probably going to be the big climactic battle, you got to give us a great fight against Doomsday. So, my three boxes as a comic book fan going in to see Batman versus Superman, that was, you have to hit these three things. Box number one, Ben Affleck is a great Batman. Check. I mentioned this in my review. Ben Affleck to me now, is the best Batman we've ever had. Um, he's magnificent. And this Batman, you know, I mentioned it in the review, is the Batman I think we've always wanted. I, I think this Batman that Batman v Superman and Ben Affleck give us is the Batman we've always wanted. Not every comic book character needs to be dark and and brooding and miserable. Like a lot of people think, oh, the darker the better. No, that's not true. But with Batman, that is what we've always wanted. That is Batman. Like, you don't want a dark, brooding Deadpool. No, no, no. But Batman, you want Batman being Batman. And he gives us a dark, visceral, hyper-violent, brutal, merciless Batman. Um, who, if you are someone who would harm the innocent, you better crap your pants at the sound of the name of Batman. Because he ain't going to have it. So checkbox number one, check. They gave us a great Batman. Checkbox number two, a great Batman versus Superman fight, check. I loved the fight between Batman versus Superman. I ate it up. It's everything I wanted that fight to be. And Warner Brothers does something very ballsy in that fight that I never thought they were going to do, but they did it and I was really impressed. So uh, checkbox number one, great Batman, check. Checkbox number two, a great fight between Batman and Superman. Check. Okay, so the third thing I needed then to enjoy this movie, a great battle with Doomsday at the end. Check. I love the battle with Doomsday at the end. I thought it was great. I thought visually looked cool. I thought the quote-unquote, even though a lot of the fighting was done in CGI, the choreography of the fighting was great. They do some really cool things. So check. So for me, going into Batman versus Superman, Give us a great character in Batman with a great performance by Ben Affleck. Check. Great fight between Batman and Superman. Check. Great fight between Batman and Doomsday. Check. Now, there are other positive things about the movie too, but those were the three core key important things to me personally that I needed to see. And to me, they gave me all three of those in spades, you know? Now, the thing is, the critic reviews for... 
Man of Steel, or for Batman v Superman, I should say. Uh, you guys have seen it. They're not spectacular. As of the recording of this podcast, and this is on uh, Wednesday morning, as of the recording of this podcast, Batman v Superman has a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. 41%. Uh, that surprises me that it's 41 but but it doesn't hyper surprise me because even after watching the movie the first time and especially now watching the movie the second time my you got to remember those three check boxes that were check boxes for me are not necessarily going to be the check boxes for everybody cuz we're all different and all movie critics are different. Every movie critic goes into a movie with a different set of their own checkboxes. Every movie fan goes into a movie with a different set of checkboxes that they really want to see in order for that movie to work for them personally. And even after watching the first, the, the Batman vs. Superman the first time, and I came out giving it an eight initially, but even then I knew, like, this movie isn't going to be an 85%. On Rotten Tomatoes. It's just not. It's not going to appeal to all those people. Um, I was thinking it was going to have like a 70%, a 69 or 70%. That's where I thought 68, 69 or 70. That's where I thought it would fall. Because just because it hit all those checkboxes for me personally, doesn't mean it's going to hit all those checkboxes for everybody. So I'm ex I was expecting a number of people to not like the film because, not because... Oh, film critics are biased. No, they're not. They're not. That's, that's, that's a myth. That's something people make up to justify in their own head why somebody else doesn't like what they like. Like, seriously. Like, there are just people out there, folks, that they can't handle other people having a different opinion than them. So what happens is if somebody really likes a movie and they hear some film critic doesn't like their movie, they just can't wrap their head around that. And they just can't accept that. And they just don't have the mental fortitude to accept the fact that, hey, just because I like this movie doesn't mean that other that particular film critic needs to like the movie. And so what they do is they do this really weak-ass thing where they make up excuses as to why the other person didn't like their thing. So since there's a guy who's desperate to see Batman versus Superman, then he hears a certain critic doesn't like it. Well, if that guy's weak-minded... What that guy then does is make up an excuse. He goes, oh, 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 well, that crit critic, the, he's just biased against Zack Snyder. He's just biased against comic book movies. Or he's just biased against WB or DC or whatever. Nah, nah, dude, that's weak. That's totally weak. Even I, who I'm the biggest supporter of Man of Steel in the world. I think it's almost safe to say that. Aside from Zack Snyder or Henry Cavill, I am probably the biggest Man of Steel supporter in the world. I think... Freaking love that movie. Um, and I've been waiting for Batman versus Superman for longer than some of you have even been alive. I mean, I've been waiting for this movie for decades. Uh, super pumped, super psyched, met all my checkboxes, but even I acknowledge that, hey man, this movie isn't going to be for everybody. And upon second viewing, it really hit home to me that this movie will not be for everybody. There's going to be a number of people that this movie will not appeal to. Because it does certain things that will work for some of us, like me, and it does certain things that aren't going to work for other people. Now, I'll tell you right now, with Man of Steel, I'm confused. I'm confused um, because while I'm saying I'm watching Batman vs. Superman and I can, I can see why it won't appeal to a lot of people, I, I didn't get that feeling from Man of Steel. I mean, Man of Steel, I thought would have much broader appeal than it did with the critics. 
So I was always a little bit confused with that. And it's gotten in the high 50s, I think, Manasseo. It's in the 50s, Manasseo, which is fine. But right now, Batman vs. Superman has a 41%. Now, I am surprised it's that low. I thought it'd be a bit higher than that. But again, I'm not surprised it's not 75% and it's not 80% and it's not 85%. I thought it would be in the high 60s, um, low 70s. But I'm reading online. I, I want to set a, a, the record straight on a couple of things, though. I'm reading online and like, I think people misunderstand fundamentally how the Rotten Tomato scores work, but people online are saying to me and tweeting me, John, did you see that the, the critics are destroying Batman? The critics hate Batman versus Superman. And that's not true. Look, remember what a 41% means. Okay. 41% means 41 out of like if a hundred film critics went into a room watched Batman versus Superman, and then came out. 41 out of those 100 critics have come out giving Batman versus Superman a positive review. Roughly 4 out of 10. So if 10 film critics walked into a room, watched Batman versus Superman, and then came out, 4 of them liked the movie. 6 of them did not. But 4 of them liked it. So if the break-even point is 50%, that 50% it means half critics really liked it, half critics really didn't. Okay. Well, that means take that 50-50 and just minus 9%. 9% from that. And that leaves you at 41%. Now, is that good? No, that's not good. But that is also not, oh my God, the critics hate Batman versus Superman. No, 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 no. When it gets like a 12%, when it gets an 8%, when it gets a 20%, that, when you get that low of a number, that means, oh yeah, okay, generally speaking, when you can say 8 out of 10 of the critics came out hating it, okay, then you can do it. But, but if 4 out of 10 come out saying they, they like the movie and they give it positive reviews, then you can't sit back and say, the critics destroyed this movie. No, no, they didn't. It's, it's, it's negative. It's definitely negative because you want at least half, if not, you know, the majority of the critics coming out to like it, but 6 out of 10 didn't and 4 out of 10 did. Um, so it's it's not that lopsided. And remember this too. We've got a, a lot of high profile critics are, it's not just some little critics, whatever. There's some really high profile critics that are raving on Batman versus Superman and giving it big positive reviews. The Arizona Republic, um, Richard Roper from the Chicago Sun-Times gave a positive, uh, Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone's giving it a positive review. Forbes magazine gave it a glowing review. The Associated Press has given Batman vs. Superman a positive review. The USA Today, Variety magazine, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of big, high-profile film critics that are loving Batman v Superman and giving it positive reviews. Now, at the same time, there are also bodies out there that, that don't like it. U.S. Weekly didn't like it. Um, the Detroit News didn't like it. Uh, Time Magazine didn't like it. So, I mean, you got a, more than half of the critics didn't like it, but four out of ten did. So it's it's really not that lopsided. It's really not that lopsided. And like I said, there are some people out there now who, before even seeing the movie, because come, I know a couple of you out there have seen the movie, but most of you haven't yet. And it it's discouraging to me when I read some comments from people who we know haven't seen the movie yet. So, so like Bobby, okay, so Bobby hasn't seen Batman vs. Superman yet, but already Bobby is dropping comments in online saying, oh, film critics are just biased against DC. No, no, they're not. They're not. Um, they're, they're simply not. 
even I, as somebody who liked the film and who I'm giving it a positive review and I really enjoyed it myself and I'm going to go see it for a third time on Thursday, even I am saying, yeah, there are things in this movie to not like. And I can totally see why somebody else who doesn't have the same checkboxes as I do go in and watch it and didn't like it. And, and folks, that's what a real film fan does. Like, yes, I'm confused about the rating on Man of Steel, but what a real film fan does is go, look, I, I here's why I appreciated it and I, why I think most people should appreciate it, but I get there these negative things are there and I get why it won't work for everybody. Just like not every movie works for me. And Batman and Superman is in that same boat. Is this a big tragedy that as of this moment, Batman v Superman is rocking a... Um, uh, 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not good, but it's also not a big tragedy. And it, it also, once again, I really want to emphasize this. The critics are not bashing on Batman versus Superman. No, a, a, a little bit in the majority of the critics don't like it. But there's a there's a significant number of critics who do. And when you get in between that 40 to 60% range, then... If you're in that 20% range between 40 and 60%, a little bit on the negative side, a little bit on the positive side, when you get reviews like that, it's unfortunate that it's not universally loved like uh, a Dark Knight or not universally loved like a Deadpool or like an X-Men Days of Future Past or like an Avengers or, or movies like that. It's unfortunate that it doesn't get that universal appeal. But when you fall into that 40 or 60%, what that really says is basically critics are split. If you fall in between 40 and 60%, that means the critics didn't love it. The critics didn't hate it. What that really means is that the critics are basically split. So you got roughly half. If it's like 59%, you got roughly half of the critics like it. Roughly half of them don't. I mean, it means the majority do, but roughly half. If you get 41%, it means roughly half. They're roughly split, even though it's more to the negative side. So if you're somebody who is really excited to see Batman versus Superman, like me, then if you look at the critic ratings and it says like 8%, oh, then you got to worry. Then you got to worry. Because that means 10 critics go into a room and nine of them came out not liking it. All right? Then you got to worry. But like I said, if it falls in between the 40 and 60%, that means it's a, it's a coin toss, man. It means it's a coin toss. That means... The critics are split. Don't don't worry about what the critics are saying at this point. Now, if it's like 91%, you can pretty much assure yourself, the, the odds are I'm going to like this movie. If it's like 5%, you can pretty much say, well, it's unfortunate. The odds are I'm not going to like it. But between 40 and none of those are absolute. Like you can get a movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 100%. It doesn't guarantee you'll like it. It just means that 10 film critics who are totally different from each other walked into a room and all 10 of them liked it. That doesn't guarantee you'll like it, but it does give you a pretty damn good chance that you're probably going to like it. Um, and so, look, Batman v Superman is falling in that range. It's falling in that 40 to 60% range. The critics are most are, are basically split. They're basically split. This isn't a critics love it or the critics hate it. No, it's, it means they're basically split. So I would say don't be deterred. Don't be deterred if you are somebody who's really looking forward to Batman versus Superman, because I think there are enough critics out there liking it to let you maintain your hope, to let you maintain your optimism. It's not like one out of 10 critics liked it. It's not like two. No, four out of 10, almost half. So hang in there. I now Look, if you're a big DC comic book fan, 
I think you're going to like this movie because you're going to be like me. I think your check boxes are all going to be checked and I think you're going to have a good time. But look, I, I said before, um, and it really stood out to me this time, Gal Gadot's not good in this movie. Now I had some, you know, brain dead morons um, on the internet comment to me and say, well, John, you're biased because you've been saying for a long time that you thought Gal Gadot was a mistake. Yeah, but I said for three years that remaking Star Trek was a mistake. But then I watched it and I liked it and I call it like I see it. I said for years that that new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles they moved, they made with Michael Bay producing, no less. I said, that's a hor- that's going to suck. I said that for years. But then I watched it. And even though most of you didn't like it, I did like it. Like I could, I know most of you didn't like the last uh, Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So if I wanted to look cool, I could have stuck with what I've been saying for years that that movie's going to suck and just said, yeah, yeah, it did. It ended up sucking. But I got to call it like I see it. And even though I trashed on the Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for years before it came out and I said it was going to suck and it was going to be awful, all I can do is call it like I see it. So I went in, watched the movie, and I liked it. So I had to come out and eat crow and say, guys, I said this movie was going to suck and I was wrong. 21 Jump Street. Seriously, how for you guys have been following me any period of time, how bad did I trash on that? It's like, first of all, Channing Tatum sucked because at the time I, I didn't like him very much. I thought he was a terrible actor. Him and Jonah Hill together are going to be terrible. This is a stupid property to try to reboot, 21 Jump Street, blah, blah, blah. And I went on for probably about a year and a half about how stupid of an idea 21 Jump Street was, but I saw it and I had to eat my words. And you know what? You, you, some people think having to eat your words as a film critic is a bad thing. No, man, that means I got pleasantly surprised. Yeah, you know, I, again, I recently I said John Bernthal was a bad casting for uh, Punisher. Now I started to change my mind when I saw him in the trailers, but still, I originally I said as a bad casting, and then I saw Daredevil season two. Bam, he was an awesome Punisher. So, look, my track record is if I can trash on something because look, there are two stages here, right? We talk about how something looks, and then once we see it, then we talk about how it is, in our own opinions, obviously. But they're two separate things. Just because you think something looks really good, like how long did I say uh, Gangster Squad was going to be awesome? I I talked for over a year about how Gangster Squad's going to be awesome. You got Sean Penn, you got Josh Brolin, you got all these power, you got Ryan Gosling in it, you got Emma Stone in it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You got this director in it. It's going to be incredible, blah, blah, blah. So that's how you talk about how it looks. And to me, that's how it looked. To a lot of people, that's how it looked. But then you go and see the movie and that's something totally different. Now you got to separate how it looked, whether good or bad, from how well it actually did in your opinion. And Gangster Squad sucked. Even though I said, and I thought for a long time, it looked great, it sucked. So believe you me, um, despite the fact that for years I've been talking about how I thought Gal Gadot was a mistake in casting, I was cheering for her. And I totally wanted to go in there and have her like 21 Jump Street did, like John Bernthal did, like Star Trek did, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did. I was totally wanting her to make me eat my words, but she doesn't. And she didn't. It, that's just the way it is. In, in my opinion, it's just the way it is. Look, the thing is, 
you hear some people talking online about how Wonder Woman is actually a great part of this movie. Yeah, but there are two different things here. The character is different from the performer and the performance somebody brings to the character. Like everybody's talking about how great Wonder Woman is in the big last fight. You see it in the trailer. This isn't a spoiler. Um, how great Wonder Woman is in that big last epic long fight with Doomsday at the end. Yeah, Wonder Woman is great. But Gal Gadot doesn't have any lines. Like what Wonder Woman does in that fight, she was going to do no matter what actress. Roseanne Barr could, or Melissa McCarthy could have been playing Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman would have been doing the exact same things. Um, so there's a difference between thinking a character was a good character in a movie and the actor actually gave a good performance. I counted last night. I originally said she had 12 lines, but I paid more attention and I counted. Gal Gadot has 16 lines in this movie. About seven or eight of them are actually delivered not bad. Better than I thought she was capable of doing. But the other seven or eight lines, like, were totally wooden. Like, uh, this isn't a line from Wonder Woman. I'm just, but this is how she said her lines. Hello, Batman. We need to go to the crime scene and stop those criminals. Hello, Superman. I am an Amazonian. We are a proud warrior race. Like, that's not her lines from the movie because I don't want to spoil her lines. But seriously, that is how she said her lines. I, I said on, on a review last night, I mean, she gave her lines more stiff than a 20-year-old 20-year-old frat boy on Viagra. I mean, she was it was stiff and it was wooden. But the character is really cool. But all the best moments of Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman in the movie are the parts when she's not speaking. The fights, when she's just looking sultry and, oh my God, like seriously, how beautiful is Gal Gadot? I mean, she's gorgeous. But look, I, I, I said this in my review too. She's better in the movie than I thought she would be. She is. I'll give her credit. And she showed me glimpses. Because remember I said seven or eight of the lines that she gave, she was actually pretty good. She showed me glimpses of her being better than I thought she was even capable of being. And that shows me that she can develop and she can grow and she can get better. And that gives me actual hope. So I came out of this movie, yes, thinking Gal Gadot, still thinking Gal Gadot was a mistake to, to cast as Wonder Woman. I don't think she's a very good actress. I think most of her lines were really wooden and hidden. And Zack Snyder didn't allow her to have many lines because he was trying to hide her. But that being said, she worked out, she was nowhere near as bad as I feared she would be. And she actually worked out a little bit better than I thought she would. So I'm just going to say that, but there are other, look, ultimately here it comes down to this with Batman versus Superman. When you're going to hear negative things about Batman versus Superman from people in the media or from critics or whatever, a lot of it is going to stem from this. And I have to agree with them. Zack Snyder, the director is proving to me that he is a, number one, he's a visionary director. He has a grand visionary scale. And he has a geek boy heart. He really does. He has a wonderful geek boy heart with just a visionary approach to filmmaking. A very, he's a very visual storyteller as well, which is great. But... um. I'm finding he's not a really gifted storyteller and he's not strong in the editing room. Like the, the people who don't like Batman versus Superman are going to say the story flow was bad. There were some very confusing editing decisions that were made. Seemingly random scenes and shots were dropped in between other scenes that made no sense and blah, blah, blah. And look, they're right. 
Now, they that negative didn't affect me the way it affected a lot of other critics. But you can sit back and say, okay, I can understand why that would really rub some other people wrong. I can understand why that would hurt other people's enjoyment of the movie. I can understand it didn't do that to me. To me, the positives far outweighed the negatives. But I can see where they're coming from. Um, look, bottom line for me, if you're somebody who likes DC Comics and you understand a bit of DC Comics and you're really looking forward to a great, dark, visceral Batman and you want to see some great visual stuff and you want to see great fights between Batman and Superman and, and, and Doomsday and all that kind of stuff, if you're looking for all of that, you are, I believe personally that you are going to come out of Batman versus Superman very happy. Now, if you're an average film goer who the lore of DC Comics isn't that important to you and you're just looking for good, coherent storytelling and whether or not the fights are good isn't that big of a deal to you, that average film fan, Batman vs. Superman may or may not work. It's a little bit of a coin toss. All right, guys, I got a, a couple other things here um, I got to talk about. But before I do, and before we get to uh, these new things, I want to thank, as I mentioned off the top, I want to thank our sponsor uh, for this episode. Before we get on to the Twitter questions, we want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this episode, geekfeed.com. The world's greatest dedicated geek news feed, providing you with juicy, fresh, up-to-the-minute breaking news and shareable content on all things geek. It's the place to get your geek fix. They eat and sleep nothing but geek, scouring the interweb to serve up some seriously tasty geek nuggets. So get ready to cram every orifice with the very latest from the world of comics, games, TVs, and movies. Chow down on the funniest vines and memes. Feast your eyes on the latest trailers, posters, and fan art. Stuff your geek cake hole full of... Okay, you get the idea. Remember, connect with geekfeed.com on all social media at geekfeed.com. That's at geekfeed.com across all platforms. And we here at the John Campia Podcast would like to thank geekfeed.com for sponsoring this episode. All right, got a couple more things I'm going to cover here. I'm running short on time, but I'm going to get to these as quick as I can. I thought this one was really interesting. You know, speaking of the DC Cinematic Universe, we all, of course, know that Margot Robbie, maybe the hottest woman in Hollywood right now, is playing one of the hottest women in all of comics. She's playing Harley Quinn in the upcoming Suicide Squad. But she's a terrific little actress. She is terrific talented talented actress i've even movies she's in now that i'm not a big fan of her performance is usually really solid but anyway they just announced something really interesting to me that margot robbie has signed up to play tanya harding in the real life story of the olympian the disgraced olympian now for those of you who don't know the story of tanya harding this is going back a whole bunch of years like this is going back to when i was basically a kid this is going back to uh well, I wasn't a kid, but it goes back to like 1994. And some of you will be too too young to remember this, but this is an incredible, like so weird that this is a true story. But basically you had two these two Olympian figure skaters. You had Tanya Harding and you had uh, Nancy Kerrigan. And they were the two top female U.S. figure skaters. And they had a, a rivalry, um, like it didn't seem mean at all, but they they were the two top female figure skaters. And it kind of looked like Nancy Kerrigan had a little bit of an edge. And Nancy Kerrigan was really cute. You should, I don't know what she looks like now, but if you go back, she was, Nancy Kerrigan was kind of like the total package. Like she was the superstar Olympic athlete 
but also like a sw- Sports Illustrated swimsuit model good looks that you could have put on the cover of magazines. You know, she was kind of that whole package. Anyway, so it was before this one big event. It was, I think it was an Olympic qualifier event. So there's this one big event that was about to happen. And the news comes out that off the ice backstage, an attacker attacked Nancy Kerrigan and hit her in the leg with a lead pipe. And this, the story just blew up. I mean, here it is, this America's sweetheart, beautiful girl, Nancy Kerrigan, one of America's top Olympians, viciously attacked by some thug, beaten on her leg with a lead pipe. And, you know, the news cameras are there. It's a very famous, you can look it up on YouTube. It's a very famous, like, scene from real history with of this girl crying, laying on the ground as paramedics are trying to attend her, just yelling, why, why, why? And she didn't know who did it and all this kind of stuff. Well, as it turns out, it wasn't her rival, Tanya Harding, but it was an attack arranged by her rival, Tanya Harding. I mean, it's, it's, if you didn't know it was a true story, you would have a hard time believing it was a true story. But so what happened is, um, the goal was for them to break Kerrigan's leg, but they didn't break it. They just bruised it badly. And she recovered. And then Nancy Kerrigan went on to beat Tanya Harding in the qualifiers and stuff like that. And then later the plot got exposed and Tanya Harding and her husband at the time were convicted um, of assault. They got convicted and Tanya Harding got convicted. It is the strangest thing. So Margot Ro- – and you'd think if you're going to make a true story movie out of this that you would tell it from you know Nancy Kerrigan's point of view. But they're not doing that. This is going to be a Tanya Harding movie, which I think is really interesting. Um, like I said, it comes right out of real history. I cannot wait to see this. I'm really jacked about it. So uh, yeah, Margot Robbie is going to be playing Tanya Harding in one of those movies, and I think it's going to be really cool. All right, guys, since I'm running out of time, I'm going to take this opportunity to get to some of your uh, Twitter questions. Now, as you know, how do you get a Twitter question on the John Campion podcast? It's simple. Just send out a tweet with your question and include in your tweet hashtag TJCP. Once again, just put in your tweet, hashtag J or TJCP, the John Campia podcast. Put that out there and that way I'll be able to see your tweet and I can pick some out and I've picked a few out here. So here we go. The first Twitter question today comes to us from Chase uh, Schleich. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Chase, but Chase writes in, uh, John, after two viewings of Batman versus Superman, do you think Zack Snyder should still direct Justice League? Okay. As I've gone on now, two days in a row on my podcast, I like, I, I very like, I very much like Batman vs. Superman. I'm going back to watch it a third time tomorrow night. Did Zack Snyder hit all those checkboxes? Yes. Has Zack Snyder made some good movies? Yes. Is it time for Zack Snyder to step down from the DC Cinematic Universe? Yes. I believe yes. Because like I said a little bit earlier, all those things that you're going to hear a lot of the critics complaining about and, and some some of the fans who go to see this movie complaining about are based around the storytelling. He's great visuals, but he forgot to tell co- a coherent story. One that flows well, one that has pace and one that's edited well. And, you know, I, I will always be grateful to Zack Snyder for what he did with Man of Steel because I love that movie. But when watching Batman versus Superman, 
he hit all the right check boxes, but I believe he also showed some deficiencies. Yeah, I think it's time for him to step down. I think if Zack Snyder goes on to direct Justice League Part 1, and I personally, I wouldn't mind it if he did. I personally wouldn't mind if Zack Snyder directed Justice League Part 1. But if DC sticks with him, then the critics and a lot of the people who don't like this movie are really going to jump on that, that he's coming back to direct it. So look, it's just my personal opinion. My personal opinion is, hey, Zach, you've directed two films in this DC Cinematic Universe now. Don't get stuck in a rut. Go, go away from the DC Cinematic Universe and make some new movies, some other stories, because I think that's good. I think it's good when directors don't stay on one property for too long. So you've done two in a row. Move away from it now and go get involved in some new original films. And I think that would be best for Zach. I think that would be best for the DC Cinematic Universe. But once again, my personal opinion, because I love Man of Steel and I really like Batman vs Superman, I wouldn't have a problem if he came back for Justice League Part 1. But, you know, speaking, trying to be a little bit more objective, I think it would be wise for, for Warner Brothers to part ways with Zach at this point. But anyway... All right, let's move on to the next question. And the next question comes from uh, Derek Large, who writes, uh, John, do you think the R-rated version of Batman versus Superman will be superior? Nope. No, I don't. R doesn't make things better. Unless you're Deadpool and going for the jokes. Um, this movie is already brutally violent and brutally visceral. As a matter of fact, it's so dark and so brutal, I don't know how parents take their kids to see this. I honestly don't. Like if I was a parent with a kid, say 10 or under, I know I can take that kid to go see, I can take that kid to see Captain America. I can take that kid to see Iron Man. I can take that kid to see Avengers, even though there's violence and all that kind of stuff. I would not take my kid to see Batman vs Superman. And that's good for me. Like, I think that's great that they made him so visceral and dark and savage. But uh, to be honest, I, I know it's not a movie you can take your kid to. At least I wouldn't. Um, so there's that. So do I think an R rated Batman, the, the R rated cut that they're going to put out on Blu-ray of Batman versus Superman is going to be a better version? No, because what? You're just throwing a few more punches. Like the movie's already hyper dark. Um, showing some nudity isn't going to make the movie better. Throwing in more swearing isn't going to make the movie better. There are times when it does work. Deadpool's a great example where Deadpool is a kind of character that I was tailored to need to be rated R. This doesn't. I, I really don't think making it R is going to hurt hurt it. I don't think making it rated R is going to hurt it, but I also don't think it's going to help it very much. So, yeah, that's just my opinion. All right. Um, Dennis Gilman writes, Dennis Gilman 78 writes, how do studios decide how much to pay or sell a property for? Example, when George Lucas sold Star Wars for $5.5 billion, how did they figure that out? Well, okay, first of all, he didn't sell for 5.5. I think he sold for like 4.1 or something like that. It was four something. When George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney, he sold for like $4 billion. Um, But I contend, I do not believe there's any way in hell he just sold it for $4 billion. Like, yes, I do believe he sold it for $4 billion in cash and Disney stock. I think George Lucas actually right now might be the single biggest shareholder in Disney. Um, he's not the majority older, uh, the majority owner, I mean, but... I don't, I, th I think I have to double check this, but I think there is no single individual out there in the world who owns more shares of Disney than George Lucas right now. So he sold it for four or something billion in cash and stock options. But I also totally believe uh, that included in that deal that he gets a percentage. I think he gets points 
in everything Star Wars does moving forward. Now, there's nothing out there official to confirm or not confirm that, but $4 billion is cheap for Star Wars. And George Lucas knows that. George is a smart businessman. So I believe it was for $4 billion plus points. So as of today, George Lucas is still making money on Star Wars. I mean, so he's sitting at home watching The Force Awakens get close to $2 billion. And he's just sitting at home rocking his chair, laughing maniacally while yelling, cha-ching, cha-ching. He's making tons of cash. Now, so the question is, how how does the studio determine? Well, it's different from case to case, but it's like any business. Uh, Generally speaking, now I've heard different trains of thought. Some people say, if you're going to sell your business, your sales tag should be, how much do you do in sales or how much money does your company make a year? And times that by five years. Some people I've heard say, take how much money your business makes and times that by 10 years. But it it depends on who you listen to. So if you're a person that you own a business and your business makes 100000 a year and you want to sell it, generally speaking, you're going to sell it for anywhere between the half a million dollar range and a million dollars, somewhere in there. And you got to take into consideration how valuable is the property. Is this, So like, for instance, right now, Fantastic Four is not a value, valuable property because they've had three bad Fantastic Four movies in a row and I think the audiences are sick of it. So the value of Fantastic Four now is pretty low because how much money can it actually make because it just bombed at the box office. But a property like Star Wars, you got to expect every Star Wars movie you put out is probably going to at least hit a billion dollars so extrapolate that over five years or six years or seven years, you're probably looking at a value of six, seven, eight, nine million dollars or billion dollars, I should say. Um, so when George sold it for four, I knew that that meant that George Lucas was getting the cash. Plus, he was probably getting a bit of back end as well. All right. Last question of the day. And this one comes from Tar Yank 5 or Tar Yank 6. And Tar Yank 6 writes, uh, John, do you think the critics, I kind of addressed this earlier, but they're writing, John, do you think critics have a bias towards certain studio slash directors? No, the answer to that question is absolutely not. And first of all, when people say critics, there's this total misunderstanding out there. I mean, it represents a total you know, disconnect. There is no such thing as the critics. Because to say the critics is to kind of sound like they're all the same. Like all critics are 56-year-old white men with gray beards who wear suits and ties. Those are the critics. And no, nothing could be further from the truth. Because the critics represent people who are completely different from each other. So for instance... Last night in Batman versus Superman, I'm sitting there in the theater and sitting just a couple of rows in front of me is the iconic great film critic, Leonard Moulton. Leonard Moulton, who has been doing this for decades and decades, who's the main film critic for Entertainment Tonight. He's one of the most respected film critics in the history of film criticism, certainly one of the more famous ones. So Leonard uh, Leonard uh, Moulton is sitting there and he's, he's probably in his 60s and sure, he came wearing a suit, gray beard. Okay, yeah. So that's a film critic. But then sitting with me um, is um, Andy Signore from Movie Fights. That's a different dude than Leonard Moulton. 
Then sitting on the other side of me is um, Christian Harloff, film critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Totally different. He's he's a totally different guy than Leonard Moulton, who is a film critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, almost all film critics are on Rotten Tomatoes, basically. But um, he's a totally different guy with totally different tastes, a totally different background, a totally different sets of preferences. So there you go. You had Andy Signore. You got Christian. You got Leonard Moulton. You got – basically, it was a theater filled with film critics, and every film critic was totally different from the next film critic next to them. Like, there are people out there who think – the critics are like the Borg from Star Trek. They're all the same. They're all assimilated. Once you become a film critic, you are assimilated. You are the exact same as every other film critic. Nope. Nothing could be further from the truth. Trust me. I know dozens, probably a hundred film critics, and all of them are completely different from each other. They're all completely different. And they all have different tastes. They all have different... Like Every human being has sets of biases. So that includes... Film critics, but they're no, they have no different biases than you have as an average film goer. It's the exact same thing. We all come to the movies with their own sets of preferences, dispositions, pre-existing biases. All of it. It's all the same. Critics, non-film critics. The only difference is, hopefully, that the film critics have seen a lot more movies and are just gifted in communicating why a movie works or doesn't work. That's it's it's the only difference. So, do I think the critics? have a bias against certain filmmakers and studios. No. Are there a few individuals out there who might have a pre-existing bias against a filmmaker or studio? Yeah, probably because they're human beings just like you. You have certain biases towards certain filmmakers and studios too. And so some, some film critics do as well, but the majority don't. So no, I don't believe that at all. Anyway, that'll do it for me, guys, for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Listen, do me a big favor. Open up iTunes. Search for the John Campia podcast and make sure you either subscribe, but if you don't use iTunes, that's fine. Just open up iTunes anyway and find the John Campia podcast and rate this podcast and leave a comment on it. That would really help me out a lot. And don't forget, guys, my book, The Pride, my first novel, um, is in the Amazon bookstore now. Head on over to Amazon, search for The Pride, and uh, you'll find my book there. It's available for Kindle and in paperback as well. Uh, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the John Campia Podcast. My name is John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye.